All right, troops, live and direct from Glasgow. We have strong and conditioned myself, aka Lee Hazard, and we have the one and only, the ever knowledgeable, the ever charismatic, the one and only Alex Leonidas. Alex, it's a big honour and a pleasure to have you on. How are you today, brother? It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. I can't wait to chat it up. I've seen some of your other episodes, and so far, I'm very much impressed. So I think we're going to have a great chat, talk about all things training-related. I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm fantastic. Had a, had a great day with the kids, and uh, I've now got them off to bed, so I'm, I'm prepared for this podcast. Ready to get intense. So, so Alex, you're a very hard man to get hold of. I've, I've been on your case for a long, long time. I even think I went to the trouble of sending an email to your website. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for that. I'm terrible. But I've been quite busy with uh, organizing other podcasts, other collaborations, and just uh, keeping up with the scripting and the, ever, the demands of making YouTube content as a whole. Because now as my channel is growing, I find... There's more pressure in the sense that I need to release better quality videos, more informative, more concise. I can't afford to make mistakes. So I've been quite busy, even with my own training, managing recovery and all that. But, uh, hey, I appreciate you sticking with me, not giving up because we're here. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very I'm very tenacious. When I want to get something on, someone on the podcast, I just kind of just go for it. I'm, I've, I've got nothing to lose. I'm in my 40s. And once well, you're that's at my reflective age, you just... in your uh, training mindset as well. It goes hand in hand. If you can persist in getting that guest, then it's the same thing with your gains. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I just want to pick up on something you said there with regarding the, the YouTube content creation process. I'd imagine, do you find that quite a stressful process, having to give out valuable content on a regular basis? Nowadays, yes. And it might seem like it's first world problems because I have this amazing community and audience who looks forward to watching my videos. Uh, at the same time, because like there's that classic saying, with great power comes great responsibility, right? And that's the position I'm in because... I have the status, I have the physique, and I'm always releasing new information. And I've been doing this for so many years now. I started in 2013 that uh, I've pretty much covered most of the major topics. So you're kind of grasping at straws or addressing things that no one's really thought about or it's more so experience-based, things that you're experiencing recently in your training and you're able to give back. So a lot of my content actually comes from my training videos. Because for yeah, the past yeah. two and a half years or so, I've been filming every single one of my workouts. So that gives me ideas just by me positioning my shots, um, leveling up in the gym, seeing how that transforms my physique. It provides the feedback to explain, you know, and also it, it takes a couple months sometimes to really get familiar with an exercise or to see if it's working. And of course, to accumulate the clips to make the video. So even though I'm making one video on, say, triceps pushdowns, maybe it took me two months to gather all that footage and to gain the experience to be able to share valuable feedback. So it's uh, essentially living in the gym. You know, my place is optimized for uh, content creation. I got the home gym. I have all my setup here, always 
buying new equipment, new cameras, microphones, uh, gym membership as well. Not for myself, just for the viewers so that everyone gets an enjoyable experience that's also informative. And my goal is to elevate the standards, demonstrate what's possible. So that in itself could be stressful because there's so much to balance up. At the same time, I love it. I can't deny that this is what I'm passionate about and I'm making a difference out there. And when I get comments from people saying that I changed their life, like that means everything. And especially when I steer them away from drugs and they tell me how much my advice improved their, their, their strength, their musculature. Uh, they share the, the before and after pictures, the numbers, like all feedback is uh, welcome. So at the end of the day, it's quite a process making videos. Does having that responsibility enforce you to really hone in on the quality that you create? Yes. Um, for example, I recently bought a new camera and uh, they're getting more expensive every time. I would say I upgrade every four years or so. It's like double the price. You know, same thing <laughs> with the microphone. Everything's double. So I hope that I won't need to get another camera for at least another six years or so because this one actually has a 6K function, which I'm not even using yet. I'm still at the 4K. But once everyone has 6K monitors and whatnot, all right, then I'll make the switch. But for now, uh, it's okay. So I, I would say more so from a videography uh, perspective and also the scripting process in the sense that I've made over a thousand videos. 90% uh, of them were non-scripted. It was just me having an outline, talking like we're doing right now. But these days, I find myself writing out these lengthy scripts that can vary between 3,000 and 5,000 words. And, you know, I proofread them. I, I, I check it multiple times, you know. And then the delivery, too, the way you express yourself. You can't just be monotone. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, and you got to have the physique to top it off. So you're, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're, you're placing every shot because you only have so many sets, right? Um, heck, I could even do two cameras at the same time if I want additional angles. And then you got to match the color science of the other one because it's a different brand, right? So it's like videography, training, uh, and then the creativity process all encompasses this. You know, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. interacting with the audience as well, which is another job. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think, though, when all those factors come into play during the creation process, does it take some of the fun away from actually creating content when it becomes such a resource heavy experience? Yes. Um, I would say the most fun type of content is when I'm being completely natural. Um, often swearing because I am, uh, <laughs> I'm an interesting character. I'm a bit crazy. And I, and I guess that shows in the way I view strength standards and you see my training intensity and how I'm always shooting for more. I'm never satisfied. So I kind of suppress that a little bit just because I've gotten older, more mature. And I know that, uh, YouTube doesn't like it either. I've actually been punished for swearing in the past. And I yeah. noticed that the moment I stopped, I started being a little bit more professional. The, uh, the CPM is what, they call it, I believe, increased like crazy. So, you know, you're careful with your words. And like one thing that you say wrong can be taken out of context. And next thing you know, yeah. you got people uh, up your case. Not that I care anymore. I've hit a point where like nothing really phases me. 
uh, I've, I've been through the hate already. It's done. Now it's yeah. all love. It's all respect. But that doesn't change the fact that in the back of my mind, it's like I do have to watch a little bit what I say. And that kind of does take out some of the enjoyment. But in the end, it's worth it. Like when you release the final product, when you know that you've created a masterpiece, that it's going to stand the test of time for years, people are going to go back to this video. It doesn't matter if the process itself can be like, oh, at times, because, you know, as a content creator, I'm sure you view back your older content, you scroll down, you click on it just to see how you've improved and whatnot. And it's cool re-listening to yourself and saying, yeah, I was, I was really onto something. That was good advice. So the satisfaction you get as a creator, because that's what we are. Uh, we're designed to, you know, create. That's, that's where the fun really is. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because you've just reminded me of some of my first ever workout sessions which I uploaded to YouTube and now and again I uh, look back on them and I've got videos where I've got my children in another room and I'm trying to do like 250 burpees and you can hear my kids fighting in between mm -hmm. sets. I'm having to actually try and negotiate with a two-year-old to try and be quiet. And there's always that inclination to think, well, should I just delete this? But it's it's part of the journey, of which course. takes me on to my next question. You made an interesting comment there of talking about dealing with the hate. How was that something you dealt with initially? Um, at first, I would just retaliate because what happened is when I started making videos, I was uh, very young. Yeah. So I had a temper. Mm, was probably unhappy with my life as well. And maybe that's what gave me so much fuel in the gym. And that appears to be a common trend, you know? So I already had this ball of anger ready to explode at any time. I, I, I realize that now looking back that, uh, I don't know, I was in a dark place for some reason. There's a lot of things that we can point to for that. But I didn't approach it the right way in the sense that I would just write these long paragraphs swearing at people and, calling them out ad hominems or even if i was right and i would give a logical reason i would also throw in a personal attack and i've learned that fighting fire with fire it just leads to a long back and forth exchange where no one is really happy you're just trying to win an argument you're not trying to solve the problem such that both parties come out with a you know a closer understanding because you can be on this side and i can be here but by the end of our conversation you know, maybe I, I converted you a little bit. Not that I'm going to switch you over, but proper dialogue is about engaging in what you're saying instead of attacking the individual. So that's what I used to do. Just get mad and also make response videos, but not address the person specifically. So yeah. if the guy was, was saying uh, rack pulls are a stupid exercise because they're going to injure your lower back. All right, I'm going to make a video called rack pulls will build your lower back, you know, I'll do the opposite. And then I'll give reasons for that. And because it's such a recent conversation, I can like recite the guy's saying and uh, just get passionate about it. And people love that, that fiery energy, like, yeah, you know? So that's how I approached it at first. And it was very raw. And that's when my channel grew quite a bit, but yeah. it's also unprofessional. And it, and it led me into more problems because eventually you're going to say things that you don't really want to say, or it's rather derogatory and, very mean-spirited and people will start compiling those clips and next thing you know you're walking mean you know so yeah. i did have a little phase where i went through that and you know what it's all on me i hold 
full accountability. Every negative thing that's happened to me, I did it to myself, you know, yeah, even though yeah. there are people with malicious intent and maybe they're psychopaths in their own right or sociopaths, at least that doesn't matter. The fact is we bring our own misery and yeah. just by getting angry all the time, that's what's fueling the hatred for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because there's a school of thought that people in YouTube think that you should retaliate to a certain degree because it keeps the engagement flowing, which in turn is going to push you up the algorithm. However, there must be an artistic element to that because, like, the way you're describing it is that you are getting angry and sometimes anger can cloud your judgment and you can write things that you might regret, whereas someone can be a bit more street smart in that respect and know right. how to retaliate to get a rise out of the troll and just keep luring them in to the web and hopefully pushing themselves up the algorithm. But, but that that's a skill. It's a skill to be able to pull that off because... I get a lot of hate. I've noticed as my channel has started increasing in uh, numbers, the hatred is it's, it's just coming from all angles. And even at my age, it, it gets a bit overbearing at times. And I'm in my 40s. So the reason I asked you was is because I know you're a lot younger than me. And I always picture myself, how would I react to that hate if I was your age? Right. Well, first of all, what kind of hate do you receive because i can't imagine people trying to be negative towards you that's what you know if you you are in your 40s demonstrating what's possible with hard yeah. workouts and it's motivating like it's inspiring stuff even the way you convey your messages i'm not understanding how you can have a massive hater so what's going on there i think you're the first podcast guest that's actually asked me a question alex i really i really like it uh, i've i get a lot of hatred towards my physique uh, I get a lot of hatred towards my beard for some reason. I want a beard uh, like that. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there, mate. It's patience. It's called Thank patience. Uh, <laughs> and I get a lot of hatred towards the fact I don't perform a jump at the end of my burpees. Mm. And the physique one is uh, that I find that quite amusing because ultimately I'm a, a pasty white Scotsman. I'm like my, I'm like Casper the Ghost. I've got no definition that jumps out at anyone because I'm 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 as white as a ghost. So people pick up on that. But to be honest with you, it kind of worked to my advantage because I made a grand statement on a. Navy SEAL Buppy video talking about how you don't need to go to the gym to make gains. And I didn't look really good in the, the video. So a lot of comments come flooding in mm. saying, where are the gains? Where are the gains? And even though it's quite a negative reaction, it's ultimately pushed the, the video up even further because I get so much engagement because Sorry. I made that grand statement. So in some respects, it was a masterstroke. But to answer your question, I don't know why people post these comments. I always think to myself, it's because they're quite sad, these people. Like, yeah. if I watch you do a video and I don't agree with what you're doing, I'm not going to comment because it's not worth my time. I don't feel that right. urge to think I better impose my thoughts on Alex Leonidas because he might listen to me and change his course. It, it doesn't work like that. And I think that's just the age I'm at. I might have did it in my 20s or my teens. Yeah. 
but now it's too much energy. Well, that's uh, the right approach to have, and I'm, I'm kind of hitting that right now. I would say for the last um, at least three years, I've been approaching in a similar way. For one, there's, there's no point writing any comment. You just move on with your life. We're, we all have the right to disagree. And secondly, I have found nine out of ten times anyone who does write a very negative comment, it's always projection. Every single time. They're unhappy with their physique or they just don't like you for some weird reason. It might not even be the workout advice. It might just be your your beard, for example. Be the, <laughs> the, the littlest stupidity, the way maybe the, the, the accent, the way you – could be anything, man. But it's always their issue. These are disturbed people because no sane person has the time to write a long paragraph hating on another man who's trying to give good information. And for what you do when talking about burpees, uh, like obviously it's not going to build a, a bodybuilder level physique, but you'll still yeah. build a great physique that's aesthetic yeah. and it looks good enough, you know. And there's some things that, you know, with the whiteness, what are you going to do? You're going to start going in a, a tanning bed, you know, <laughs> increase your risk of uh, skin cancer. You're, you're going to start spraying yourself down. Like, I mean, at some point there's only so much, you know, me too. I'm a, I'm pretty pasty in my own right. But <laughs> uh, with that, that's why cameras come into play and whatnot, you know, change the lighting a bit, try to showcase some of that definition. But uh, I think for, for you, what's impressive is the performance aspect. And when I look at other people like Iron Wolf, for example, um, it's hard to hate on a man that can do a thousand burpees in a row. Uh, and especially when it's raw live recorded sessions, they're one to two hours, non-sub just going after. And I think that's what distinguishes like the bodybuilder versus performance element, you know? And I think people haven't quite hit that point with you yet, but they'll soon figure it out that you're a lot more fit than they think. And it, it just takes one workout where they try to replicate your performance and the hate's gone. And that's what I would say. Like, just try it out. Try out the workout, bro. You know, and that cuts off the hate real quick. And you use their energy to just get even stronger. You know, double yeah. your burpee count. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to find that a, a Navy SEAL burpee challenge is one of those things that can take out a loud mouth. Like someone who's going to enforce their opinion on you and tell you that they have the superior training modality. I always think. Try a hundred Navy SEAL puppies and get they, back. They to don't me. understand. I, you know, I've done calisthenics for many years, uh, including lifting, and I consider myself to be the jack of all trades. Uh, but the one thing I had no experience with was burpees, of all things, which is sad to say. But I only got into them in 2020 because of all the home workouts that people were posting, and I realized very quickly how out of shape I really was, uh, despite the fact that I was able to run for 10k or a bit more. The burpees, even doing 300 would wipe me out completely, you know? So that's why these people just never tried it. And the jumping thing, I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, those in special forces and whatnot, they don't do the jump. That's some influencer thing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you still actually implement burpees in your conditioning training? Honestly, it's the only form of cardio I do nowadays. <laughs> yeah so i used to be really big on running and even uh boxing uh, the bass root and 30 minute boxing rounds i even bought a, a bob dummy just for that and uh after discovering all these people who were doing high rep burpee workouts i tried it out and i realized that it was so much harder that there was no point in me doing these other forms of cardio i think it is the superior form 
And the reason why it's not more popular is because it's hard, plain and simple. It'll test you. You're building your pain tolerance. There's nothing like burpees. So it's, I just do variations. You know, my favorite is the two pump, just regular yeah. two pump. And I find yeah, that's actually easier than a one pump <laughs> because <laughs> when you go up and down, that's more tiring than just using straight muscle power. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the beautiful thing about burpees and it's the thing that most people don't know about is is the amount of variety that you can squeeze out of that one movement. For example, like you've mentioned, if you're doing a, a one pump or a six count, you're up and down fast. So it's going to elicit that cardio response. But once you start to move up the pumps, then you will definitely elicit a a hypertrophy response. And to go back to what you said initially, it's not going to turn you into Ronnie Coleman, which is the lens that people always project yep. their opinion through. That's not going to build muscle. But it's definitely going to build muscle because you know yourself, once you have hit that 50th three pump, that they start to go to failure really quickly. So you're just, it's almost like you're accumulating a lot of effective reps. Exactly. In a session. And people tend to attack it because they just have that fear because the burpee has always been known as a punishment exercise. Mm -hmm. I think because they don't have the pain tolerance to take a set of burpees to failure, that's why they dismiss it and claim it doesn't build muscle. But like you said, you are accumulating those effective reps. And we know for a fact now that you can build muscle from, say, reps between 5 all the way up to 30. So if you're doing um, 34 pumps or something, <laughs> I mean, and you can't even unbend your arms by the end of that set, uh, you can't tell me you won't build muscle. Now, you, the yeah. only thing you could argue is that it's inefficient. But what if yeah. someone wants the endurance benefits in the yeah. chest, shoulders, and triceps? What if they're doing it for the cardio as well? Because that covers you, you know, and that's the main reason I do them. But at the same time, I'm getting a hypertrophy response. So we yeah. can say that if, if the goal is like only muscle building, sure, you can just do, you know, three sets of 10 on the bench and you'll be fine or three sets of weighted push-ups. But a high volume burpee workout will do the same thing if you complete it. And that's the only criteria. You need to complete the burpee workout and with time improve those numbers. Someone who takes a, third, a 300 burpee workout to failure all the way to 400 will 100% of the time build muscle. The question is, are they willing to do the extra 100 reps? And that's where guys <laughs> screw up. Yeah, see, it's, it's, it's a very interesting topic. And do you know what? We've went on a total tangent. I love it because I, I obviously always like to start my podcast in a certain way, but we're kind of going out there, which is great. But I, I, I was trying to think to myself that the Natty Noble community, is, there's something about the Natty Noble community which kind of just it jarred with me to a certain degree. And it, it's the idea that it's natural bodybuilding and we want to build the best body. That's right. However, I feel that the conditioning element is ignored in the Natty Noble community. So in that respect, we speak about building the, the, the body, mm -hmm. but in my eyes, we're building the shell of the body. We're not building engine power. And to truly build the body, then you have to take care of everything. Yeah. You need to have a conditioning element. And this is one of the missing links in the noble natural community. Uh, I see it all the time. Like, 
I always say you want to be the jack of all trades. You don't want to just be a lifter. You should also be good at regular calisthenics, weighted yeah. calisthenics, and then the conditioning needs to be dialed in as well. Now, some guys don't even do basic forms in a, in a strength in a traditional strength training context, like uh, sled poles and prowler work and even jump rope. Or people are so lazy with, with their conditioning work, and it's resulted in low work capacity across the board. You know, to the point where I'll release uh, just an average workout and guys are saying, Alex, how are you able to do all this volume? And to me, it's not even high volume. It's it's very basic, low, moderate, you know, and they're like, you must have, how do you have this crazy work capacity? And I always trace it back to the years of calisthenics that I did before, because that was my starting point. I did three to four years in that range where it was just body weight training, pumping it out, similar to what everyone did back in 2020. That was how I started. And I always continued that even as a serious lifter. And uh, I think that's what allowed me to handle these punishing workouts. Because if you don't have the work capacity, you're just going to, you won't be able to push to failure for one, or you're going to give up too soon. Even though your muscles were capable of more, you could have had that additional volume. You're prematurely giving in. So I think conditioning is the most neglected element. And I always said that most strong lifters that I see can't even complete one Iron Wolf burpee workout. And I stand by that statement because it's the truth. And because that's how it was for me. Inclu and, and, this, and this is including the fact that I did calisthenics and I was more advanced than everyone else. So if someone like me had a glaring weakness, then I can imagine the others who only do traditional weight training that they're going to have a problem. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. very important to uh, yeah. do these movements. Yeah, I think I think it's short term thinking ultimately because I, I just I've got an assumption that the, the noble natty community is of a certain demographic. You tend to find that it probably falls in the eighteen to thirty year old age range. Thirty five, I, mean, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no one's thinking past that point when mm -hmm. conditioning becomes even more of a focus because ultimately. A high level of conditioning is going to create the environment for growth constantly because it will always allow an increase in work capacity, which will inevitably lead to an increase in the amount of volume your body can tolerate yeah. and recover from. Work uh, capacity is never a weakness. And even if you plan on never increasing the volume, let's say you're going to, let's say you're a hit advocate, one set to failure, maximum two sets. It's still in your benefit to do conditioning work. Why? Because that work capacity even helps you on a separate set basis. The fact that you can handle a high rep burpee workout will make it easier to do one set to failure on a back squat. You won't be as out of breath towards the end. Yeah. And that can make a difference. If, if we know that the effective reps kick in towards the end, the last five reps to failure, right? Yeah. And you can't do it because there's a work capacity issue. Well, then your weight training is less effective, even if it's low volume. So, yeah. and, and you won't have access to, cause people say that exercises like barbell back squats are not good for higher rest because you'll gas out. Your cardio is going to be a limiting factor. Well, if you're doing all this other stuff on the side, then that's no longer an obstacle. You'll do a set of 20 or beyond and fatigue won't even be a thing, you know, and you'll recover your breath after two minutes. So if you're yeah. gassed out, even with low volume, then uh, there's a problem.
Yeah, yeah. I think another factor that comes to mind as well is that when you perform high rep burpee routines, the, a mindset becomes cultivated where yeah. you go into a, an area of darkness, I like to call it, which means you start to push through numbers and you, you, you've got that rep target and you need to get there by all means necessary, which in turn can be transferred into the gym when performing a weight routine when you, you are going to failure and you think that you've had enough when you've got that mindset which you can then use to try and push more weight because you know you've got that background in a zone which is just enshrouded in darkness. Of course, um, it 100% carries over and I find it's especially helpful for intensification techniques. Like if you're doing uh, drop sets, rest pause, force reps, that's where the burpees really shine. Or even if you're taking a, like a little uh, break in the middle of your set, you can keep pushing because you know that the target goal, I mean, you're going to get it as long as you you hone in on that dark energy like you were saying. So I actually, Tom Platts, um, the quad father, he <laughs> likes to count uh, not – one to 20 straight but in intervals of i believe five you know yeah so you count yeah. to five count to five again then you just do four revolutions of that and that's what gives you your final number with burpees i mean you got so much work to do that it's you know often you'll see people doing like uh like 25 two pumps and they'll do multiple sets of those right instead yeah. of just okay i'm gonna count from one all the way to whatever number they're gonna hit so it's about you know being committed to that process like you're in the moment even though you know there's so much more to go and uh, mm -hmm. that that mindset of just and also burpees specifically i find they're hardest at the very beginning yeah in yeah. the middle yeah. you kind of get a flow state yeah. <laughs> and then towards the end it gets a little bit harder but then it kind of drops off because you know you're about to finish the set so it's just you feel good you're ready to complete it so it's yeah, very yeah. um you know yeah, yeah. They always say that when you get to Buppy number 25, you want to tap out. You're like, what the fuck? What have I got myself into? But then you persevere. Yeah, then, <laughs> then number 50 kicks in and you start to actually feel warmed up. Yeah. Then you get to 100 and it starts to become easier. You start to get into that groove because you start to like just get that. There's also those joints lubricated and so forth. Yeah. But your breath is good, you, your joints are lubricated, and there's also a skill to doing the movement. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You get, absolutely. You get into a groove just off that, and it gets better with time. So a lot of it mm. is not even cardiovascular improvement, quote unquote. It's just the way yeah. you move your body in a rhythmic yeah. fashion that allows you to conserve the most amount of energy. And that's when it becomes really fun because now you know you can do so much more. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting point because I like to bracket burpee practitioners into three separate groups. I think you've got what I like to call speedsters and that's the guys who just want to do one pumps. They want to do, they want to cram in a 20 minute session and they want to get as many burpees in as possible. I mean, for example, I've got a friend with a YouTube channel called Max Edwards and he is, is the busy dad training method and the whole concept is is time over volume yep. and it's trying to do as many six counts as you can in 20 minutes and I think the final graduation is 325 six counts in 20 minutes 
I think he's the only guy that's actually graduated do, do, uh, doing it. So he's a speedster. And then you'll have your stylists, which is guys like Buppy King, yeah. Moses Cuevas, where it's a very... I mean, I'm sure that they, they'll do the long routines, but th- their routines are very aesthetic, very, very stylistic. They, 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 a lot of flourishes, particularly the Mexicans. I feel the Mexicans are very stylish when it comes to burpees. Well, it's uh, most of the form that they use. And it's funny you mentioned burpee king because um, that's the style that I've kind of adopted. He calls it the the rolling the, the rolling chair or the rollback. Rocking or, chair. The rocking chair. There you go. Um, I find that really gets you into a flow state. There's yeah. a, there's How do you find that in the news? Right. It's always uh, the Latino community specifically yeah. that does that. How do you find that on your knees? Um, because I've done a lot of sissy squats, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah. if I did a brutal squat session, uh, <laughs> it could be an issue the next day. So in that situation, I'll just lightly touch, uh, lightly touch the floor. As if I'm yeah. stretching my hamstrings, but I yeah, won't just yeah. jump into the burpee, you know. So I'll, I'll tap and then go, but I won't bend yeah. the knees to go with it. But overall, it, it's fine. Um, yeah, it actually yeah, warms yeah. them up, and you yeah, will yeah. get a nice uh, leg pump. I yeah. find the other style, um, it's more your lower back that'll get crammed in. Whereas when you do yeah. the, when you do the rocking chair, you're trading some of the posterior for the anterior. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the thing I like about the rocking chair is is that it, it, it's there's a plyometric element to it. Yeah, because if you do it in true Buppy King fashion, when you come up at the end of the push up, you're supposed to jump and bring your feet under your body. You're not supposed to land on your feet while your hands are still on the floor. That's right. So you need to push straight off the floor and catch that jump. And when you see, and when you watch Buppy King, the guy looks like he is hanging in air for ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And and the it's, way he does it, he he lands on his heels with his torso not even fully bent. And that's yeah. the craziest part. It's like he's jumping into a front squat almost. Like yeah, an Olympic yeah, athlete, yeah. You know? yeah. He's, he has perfected. I mean, he's the he's the inventor of that technique. Well, at least he mastered it. So yeah, it makes sense yeah. why think, it looks so clean. Yeah, I think he invented the, the cycle style burpee, which is the one where they come up and they, they crisscross the hands. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Very aesthetic. So the, the third camp I would call uh, brutalists, and that is people who just power hard through high pump routines. They'll go for the, the, the four pump, the five pump, the five <laughs> pump Navy SEAL, seven pump Navy SEAL, and you can see that pain etched in their face. Yeah, I would say that's the best one for hypertrophy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I think that the, the no, noble Nazi community definitely have to explore at one point. They have to I, try I, it. Yeah, I, I hope they watch this podcast and uh, <laughs> experiment because they will be humble very fast. And it's honestly changed my life. Like, you know, what? once I get out of here, man, I'm, I'm getting rid of that Bob dummy and I'm, I'm done with running. It's burpees <laughs> only. <laughs> so, yeah, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. So, so Alex, the first question I was initially going to ask, ask yeah. you before we went on a tangent was, I'm not too aware of your beginnings with regards to how you started training. I'm sure there's podcasts out there where you've you've explained it, but I've never heard it myself. So just for my listeners, can you tell us how you actually discovered the iron and getting into training, so to speak? Well, first of all, Lee, my story changes all the time because there's so many (laughs) things added up here. But... uh, (laughs) 
I, I've been training, I would say, I mean, I remember in, in, in grade six, so I would have been like 12 years old, uh, my mother had a set of dumbbells that went up to like 10 pounds. And I would just, when she wasn't home, I would just grab them and do curls with it. But it was nothing serious. And I never really cared for it, right? But what I will say is that I was always interested in muscles because I was a huge Dragon Ball Z fan. So the way it worked back then was you had to wait every week for the new episode to come out on the TV, right? And uh, you would see like the series, you would be growing with the characters. So you would have Dragon Ball playing. I believe it was at eight o'clock and then Dragon Ball Z was at 8.30 and then Dragon Ball GT was at nine. So you got to see all three, but in different stages, right? So when you're young, you identify with young Goku. Um, But then you get to see him when he's older and the muscles that he has. You're like, wow, this kind of training and just the mindset that it takes to be a tough warrior can lead to this. And you see these physiques and these animes and you want to look like that. So my goal was always to look like Goku, Nappa, Vegeta, all these characters. That was my inspiration. It was never a bodybuilder. I didn't care at all about that. And I didn't discover these bodybuilders until, until I was much older. And, you know, obviously you see these characters in the, the gravity chamber. They're doing their, their push-ups, handstand push-ups, uh, upside-down sit-ups with their legs tied on a rope. Um, so by design, it's very uh, calisthenics-based. And for me, I wanted to look and perform like them, have both, right? And, you know, shortly after, when I was in high school, I had a, a close friend of mine who signed up at the gym. So he, he was old. He was a year older than me. He was 14. I was like 13. And he went to the gym for a month. And I went over to his place one day and he's like, hey, look, look how strong I got. And he starts banging out these pushups. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, uh, let me see what I could do. So I actually get on the floor and I get the same amount as, as him or very close to it. And then he gets mad. So he starts doing more. Then I start retaliating and we just start going back and forth with these pushups. And it became like a little rivalry. And it reminded me of Goku and Vegeta in Dragon Ball Z. And eventually, like, he, he quit the gym, but he kept the calisthenics. And for me, I never had any gym experience. That's all I knew. So he became somewhat of a training partner. And we would always challenge each other to do more, you know. So it was always push-ups. Next thing you know, we started doing pull-ups at the park. It evolved into dips. And by this point, uh, I started developing a passion for bodyweight training. And because I was so young, obviously I didn't have any money. And it was still this prevailing myth that weight training will stunt your growth or that you shouldn't really bother with it. My father um, discouraged the idea of lifting. He was like, if anything, do martial arts, you know, but focus on the calisthenics for a couple of years. And then when you're a bit older, you can do the weights and you'll have a good foundation. Um, so that was my dad who told me, forget about it, right? So that's why I did the calisthenics for so many years. And obviously when you're doing this, you want to learn more. So you go on YouTube and that's when you discover the OGs. And back then there was uh, Hannibal for King, Mechanimal, Fitness FAQs, Little B Stem, and a couple other guys. Uh, that I, Oh, um, what was his name? Fortress. Um, there, were, there were less than 10 guys, I'll tell you right now. And the information was very primitive. So you had to experiment with everything and, you know, do make a lot of mistakes. So it was all high rep workouts, no skill stuff. Uh, didn't even use gymnastic rings. It was just street-based 
workouts. And I did that for like three, four years. I don't remember the exact time frame. Um, but once, uh, you know, I ended up going from 120 pounds to 143 pounds with abs, just body weight training, not knowing what the heck I was doing. And then I started lifting from there. So for, and then from 143, I got up to 170, became an intermediate lifter. And then the rest is history. I started my YouTube channel and I always mixed in both. So calisthenics was a starting point. It had to do with rivalries. It had to do with anime. And it's something that I just never let go. And I'm very grateful for it. So that's kind of mm -hmm. like a summary of all this stuff. Yeah, do you know, there's a lot a lot of things to, like, chew up on there, but the one that immediately jumps out to me, and it's an overriding theme in my podcast, is you mentioned the words primitive information. Mm. Do you feel that the fact that the information was primitive probably benefited you? In terms of thinking that I could do anything, yeah because there, there were no standards. So you set your own standards. Uh, like yeah. I didn't even realize, but when I was 15, I was able to do 15 muscle-ups. I didn't know if that was good <laughs> or bad. It's just something I worked up to. Yeah. Uh, I was able to do a thousand push-ups in a session. To me, that was normal because, you know, you didn't have guys putting you down or saying uh, this is uh, inefficient or you can't do this. Uh, the fact that it was primitive, I mean, the only thing I will say is that the progress could have been faster, right? So those three years, I probably could have gotten the same results in half the time. Um, like I wish I knew the information that's like available now in the CalSense community because it's gotten that good. It's so precise. Even the skill work, there was a lot of uh, – like if I'm being honest, I jumped on weights too soon. I had years more gains to milk off calisthenics. And I'm curious what would have happened if I would have just stayed on it, developed smarter routines, maybe added in a little bit of weight to calisthenics, and, and maybe had like, like if in some imaginary world I had a twin and he did my yeah. typical path and then compared to the weight of calisthenics, would we look that different? Like that I'll never yeah. know. But what I'll say is uh, it was uh, the fact that it was primitive makes you accepting to many kinds of routines that might seem off on paper you know because you, yeah. you're willing to try anything yeah yeah i, I feel that the, the less information you have the more chance of success you have in some respects particularly when it becomes when it comes to training because yeah. i feel that sometimes the the paralysis by analysis becomes a big feature and the shiny magpie whatever you want to call it syndrome is well, that's um, that's the problem I see nowadays in the lifting community. So I, I'd say it's more of a problem for lifters than calisthenics athletes. Because yeah, I'll tell you this, yeah. everyone who did it back then, bodyweight training only, they all got great results. They all looked aesthetic. Yeah. They were all fit. It's it's very rare to find a failure in the in the calisthenics community. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? That's that's an excellent point because in the calisthenics community. There seems to be no no drama in some respects. Like, if someone's got an idea, they'll do it. It won't be challenged. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't challenge ideas. However, in the lifting community, it seems to be the exact opposite. It seems to be constant squabbling. People arguing about the what's the best technique. A... Yes, because there's different camps, you know, like... Uh calisthenics the only real division we can say would be uh 
between the purists who do body weight only versus those who incorporate weighted calisthenics, or if you're comparing a competitive street lifter versus someone who just does does general weighted calisthenics. But yeah. there's so little camps to choose from that yeah. it doesn't really matter. And they're still very similar, like even the training methods. So yeah. I don't think we're yeah. at that point where, you know, and it's all respected. Like if I'm doing yeah. a, a planche on, on gymnastic rings and this guy's only doing it on the floor, well, he's going to look up to you. He's, he's not yeah. going to be like, oh, well, that's on rings. You know, it's just yeah. you're leveling up. So, yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's 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 difficult because to go back to what you said there about uh, like people who don't do weighted calisthenics, that seems to me to be more a purity issue. Like you always yeah. get these purists, which I which I kind of respect. There's, there's there's a there's something respectful about the the purity of some exercises, but maybe it's that's being a tad whimsical to a certain degree. Yes. But with lifting, it tends to be this is the right way. No, this is the right way. He's wrong. I'm wrong. You're wrong. Everybody's wrong. And it, and fitness to me is something that is positive because I always remember reading something that Arnold Schwarzenegger said on Reddit. And I think someone criticized one of his posts because I know he posts on there infrequently. And his response was, we are all trying to achieve the same thing. We're all just trying to get fit. That's right. Who cares how we get there? And that to me is what fitness is all about. It's like, we just want to feel good about ourselves. That's why we yeah, perform oh, fitness. Yeah. That's why we perform exercise. It makes us feel good. It makes us look good. It makes us move good. But ultimately it makes us feel good. Ultimately. I think um, we all have the same intentions and most of us are a lot more similar to each other than we then we otherwise wouldn't think in the sense that uh we all value you know health longevity uh we probably eat healthy as well nutrition we're in the gym or in the calisthenics part consistently with social media we're just filming different kinds of content so a lifter might be showcasing his uh bench press whereas a calisthenics athlete uh his planche progression but it's, it's always it goes back to progression you know, we're, we're evolving and it's it's physical. This isn't uh, – and there's the accumulation of knowledge. So we're all researching for something that is physical. And they all have carryover to each other in some kind of way. Like the calisthenics athlete who transitions into lifting weights will do well. And the lifter, same thing, because they both have a, a base of muscle and strength and just general fitness. So there's all these attributes that overlap. And there's no reason – to hate on the goal of just feeling better. Cause that's what we're all trying to do. And, um, you know, uh, I started off as a calisthenics athlete. I switched to weights. I still love calisthenics and I, I don't see, re I don't see why like someone wouldn't want to borrow from every discipline. It's like the same thing when we talk about, uh, powerlifters versus strongmen. I think those guys are a lot more in common than, uh, things that they have against towards each other. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's talk about when you made your transition from calisthenics into the iron game. How did that come about? Well, I don't really remember the full details, but <laughs> I I believe I was not satisfied with my level of musculature. I wanted more. Like to me, it wasn't good enough just being like generally aesthetic. I wanted to be massive. 
So calisthenics at some point, I mean, I, I peaked out at 143 pounds, but like I told you earlier, I could have done more if I knew more. Yeah. So that's my own fault. Um, but that was the main reason. I think I just, I wanted to be bigger and I felt like, uh, you know, my arms were, were tapped out. My chest wasn't getting any bigger. I was getting more fit, but I just, I felt like the weights was that next step. And now I had the foundation. So started going there and I noticed my, my strength was a lot higher than most people because the calisthenics, you know, gave me, uh, a foundation like I was able to do over 50 dips, you know, before I ever yeah. started lifting. Yeah. Uh, so you know, when I was benching, I, I didn't have to start sub 100 pounds, like I was already benching what your average lifter does, you know. Not that I was strong, yeah. but I was a very lightweight doing that, and it took me eight months to become an intermediate lifter. So, yeah, that's because of the calisthenics. So, I feel like because I had that base, it was time for me to upgrade but there were certain things that i never let go of i always did my push-ups i always did my my pull-ups and dips and then those i started adding weights like i think the first time i did a weighted pull-up it was like 65 pounds it was between uh i know it was over a plate you know so yeah yeah, i just wanted more muscle to me i I couldn't just be like this fit guy at the park i wanted more yeah yeah so uh, how did you create your programming in that period did you just follow conventional cookie car style programs or were you creating your own programming from the offset i I always did my own programming but it was based off cookie cutter ideas you know so i always had the the basic compound movements in there uh bench press overhead press squat uh deadlift linear you know linear progression uh, adding five pounds of workout i had a logbook, so i tracked everything but uh, I dabbled with, uh, you know, push-pull legs, upper-lower, full body. I tried them all. But I know that for my first year, uh, the push-pull legs was actually um, quite effective for me. And then, like, in the middle of the novice phase, I completely switched over to full body. And I would train that way all the way up until 2019. So the majority of my physique was built with full body. That's what ultimately – and I think it's also because with calisthenics – that's what it was. So it brought me back to a familiar place, you know, because calisthenics is like the way I did it was circuit style. I would always, you know, alternate push, pull, push, pull. And then I would hit the legs at the very end or I would skip them or do cardio, you know. So I was <laughs> used to full body. And after doing push, pull legs for some time, I'm like, yeah, let's go back to my roots. And also I saw some silver era bodybuilders like Leroy Colbert recommending it, saying that the split routine was for steroid users and all this stuff. So it made sense to me, and uh, yeah, that's that's the, the routine I ultimately, you know, landed on, and then it just evolved from there. Who who were your big influences, or with regards to your programming? Too many. Um, Leroy Colbert was a huge one. So he was uh, like he, he was the oldest bodybuilder on YouTube. Mm, he died at eighty two years old. So I was watching yeah. when he was still making content. Um, I learned so much from that man. Uh, and then because of him, it's what led me to discover other old school bodybuilders. And I would read their articles and whatnot. Right. So he was up there. Uh, Louis Simmons in terms of the programming side of things for uh, conjugate strength training, anything that has to do with strength development, Louis Simmons all the way. And then and anyone is associated with him, any of his uh, former athletes or disciples or whatever, I'll listen to all those guys as well, like Matt Wenning, for example. 
Um, those are the two biggest names. Um, there's also some OGs in the YouTube space that I can name. Uh, one of them, believe it or not, was uh, someone who's quite hated nowadays. I don't even know if I should give him that publicity, but uh, I was a fanboy. <laughs> absolutely. I would comment <laughs> on all his videos. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot. The, the information was good. You know, uh, yeah, eventually, yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened, but, you know, people change, right? So, yeah, yeah. He, he was I a think... top influence for me. Sorry. Yeah. I think egos can develop through yeah. the YouTube platform. One thing I've learned is you got to keep your ego in check. Yeah. But uh, him, uh, there was Omar Isof, Johnny Candido, Chris Jones from Physiques of Greatness. Uh, the Hodge Twins. I love the Hodge Twins. I used to watch them every day, including when I was in high school. I'd be in the back of the class uh, listening to their videos. I'd be playing uh, World of Warcraft listening to the Hodge Twins. So I, I was a yeah. gamer nerd that had an interest. Uh, Scooby1961, Scott Herman Fitness. Um, yeah, the, and then the calisthenics channels, you know. So those are some big names who helped me out initially. Do you miss that rawness that came from that YouTube OG era? Yeah, it was the best. I, uh, But it's also because you're you're so young and inexperienced that everything is new to you. Right, so you 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 have some raw guys today, but just doesn't, doesn't hit the same way because you've been in that phase already. So yeah. I think it's just that we're getting older and more experienced that we don't quite have that same wow factor. So I think nostalgia can cloud judgment because you're so new. But there was it was definitely different, and and guys said whatever they felt like saying. There was no algorithm. There was no politics. Uh, you can say exactly like it was raw, and people were rude, you know. But I love that, you know. And I was like that too for a certain amount of time. So, yeah, it was, you know, it, it was something else. So what exercises did you find you were responding to the most when you started lifting? The basics, um, like the bench press was the biggest one. Uh, barbell back squat. The conventional deadlift, not so much. Um, barbell row did me good. Standing overhead press. Mm, way to pull up, way to dip. And uh, yeah, th those are the biggest ones. The rest was just accessories or variations of those. Yeah. You know? So are I you, build my physique off the basics. <laughs> are you a fan or a proponent of rotating exercises? Yes. Uh, I think it's very important for reducing overuse injuries, uh, including when we talk about burpee routines and just calisthenics as a whole because you get repetitive joint stresses. And one thing that people have been saying on my channel for years is, Alex, uh, you're going to get injured this year, you know, because you lift so darn heavy. And I've been, I've been hearing that shit for, <laughs> for so long now. And it's like, okay, where's the injuries? Yeah. And how come you're injured? Because that's what happens. It's always projection, like I was telling you before. So I think the secret to my longevity is because I rotate movements. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter that it, it, it might not be giving you a better muscular effect per se, but the fact that you're reducing some of those little micro strains is what makes it different because the strength angles are different. The, so not the strength angles, the, uh, the resistance profiles are different. The range of motion can be inches off, right? Uh, your grip width, the muscular biasing effect. There's some things you can't really see, but you feel, you know, and uh, 
that's the main reason why I do it. Back in the day, I would say it's to overcome the law of accommodation to prevent staleness. And sure, there is an element to that. And I do believe in the fact that rotating movements will just maximize your general strength. And if you're someone who wants to be good at everything, you basically have no choice. Like for me to do what I do, I have to mix in calisthenics and weights. I, I can't just lift and expect to, you know. So I, I treat, for example, the weighted dip like it's a specialty barbell, you know. I treat it like it's a cambered bar. So everything is a tool. An exercise is a tool, right? So beyond, you know, the individual response that it can bring, the main thing is that it helps not get you snapped up. So that's the central reason. Do you think that your calisthenics background helped to facilitate that injury prevention by building tendon and connective tissue yeah. strength? Yep, 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 100%. And um, like, for example, like I didn't do gymnastic rings when I was only doing calisthenics. But in hindsight, like that would have done even more for me. Because now that I do it, I see the bulletproofing effects that has on the bicep tendon, on the shoulders, right? And I've just noticed that calisthenics athletes, like – they have very little injuries and it's not because the weight is light because they're using their own body weight. In fact, we can argue that the greater fatigue would lead to form breakdown and that's what can cause injuries. Yet we don't see this. We don't see uh, bicep tears, pec tears, uh, none of this stuff. And I think it's because the high reps, you're building the connective tissue, you're building the tendons over time very gradually because your, your body weight scales, um, slowly. Right. And, uh, you know, once once you're once you're fit from calisthenics and you and you switch over to weights, you've done extended range of motion already with the dips. Uh, you've played with various angles, like you've done diamond push-ups, you've done regular, maybe you've done underhand off parallels, you've done handstand push-ups. Like this, you've done all the the fundamental movement patterns already, just in in various ways that maybe the weight training alternative is actually less uh, stressful you know yeah so, yeah 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 for so sure do you is every single one of every single one of your sessions programmed before you go into the gym or do you ever have that ad hoc day for example where you think i'm just going to go in here and have fun a lot of the time it's uh instinct based like yeah. i don't i don't write my programming ahead of time People would think that's the case because of how meticulous I am. But I feel that if you track everything, you can program on the fly. And that's something I learned from the conjugate system because let's say the, the max effort method, which is when you work up to a, a top single, by default, you have to change that variation every week. And it doesn't matter what it is, you know? And the way I look at it, I, I break it down in terms of movement patterns. So the template is going to be the same 90% of the time in terms of, you know, I have to do a horizontal press and then a vertical press and then one isolation for biceps and triceps, for example. But the movement can vary uh, depending on the staleness, depending on possible overuse and just enjoyment, you know, and I know that everything is going to feed into one another because like once you're technically proficient at everything, uh, everything is fair game. Like you're going to get carryover, you're going to get bigger, you're going to get stronger. As long as the proximity to failure is there and the template doesn't differ too much, it's all the same stuff, you know? So yeah. absolutely yeah. I have uh, times like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think along the lines that what is going on in your life should dictate your training sessions. Auto-regulation. 
Yeah, but more so in the sense that, like, for example, like I've got three children and uh, I work full time and I'm trying to create content for YouTube. So you'll know how mm -hmm. overwhelming that can become. And when things start to get on top of you, I think that a structured program can be adding more stress into the mix. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, for example, my gym time is limited. If I go to a gym, I can't go in for 90 minutes. And if I have a program to follow, then I go into that gym knowing I must complete that program. But if I don't have the time, then I am going to stress out about it. And I know that's stupid, but it's just, it is what it is. It's um, understandable. It's the difference between uh, principles versus yeah. programs. If you yeah. understand the fundamentals, then you can really program on the fly. But it has to be sound. Yeah. It can't just be some random nonsense. Yeah. There's no progression. But if, if there's a trend going on, then it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I think that w when times like that arise, then you go into the gym and I don't want to say have fun. You're not going in and having fun, but you're mm -hmm. going in with no set plan, but you're doing the things that you like, but you're attacking them with ferocity because, you're, you, you, because you know you're under a strict time limit, so you need to make everything count. And if you rotate through the same mm -hmm. exercises regularly, then you are going to make progress, progress eventually because I feel sometimes programming can be overwhelming in some respects um psychological staleness is a big one if changing things up allows you to maximize your limited time and you're going to give it your all then that in itself is worth it regardless if it's optimal or not yeah. and another thing when you know that you have limited time let's say if you're going to the gym well this is where the usage of calisthenics or a home gym can be so beneficial so it's about being aware of what can you do to make to, to maximize every, every every minute, you know? And that's why, mm -hmm. like, even if I'm, let's say I only have 90 minutes. Well, if I got to go to a gym, uh, I, I lost half an hour right there because now I got to yeah. wait for people. I got to drive there, come back. So you can gain quite a bit just by having some things accessible at home, especially if you know that for that day, you don't need much else. Yeah. So there's a beauty and simplicity on that aspect. And also the higher intensity, if you're really giving it your all because you have such limited time, well, that can be just as effective as a higher volume session. But you got to go balls to the wall, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So with regards to your programming and that sometimes ad hoc approach, how did that how did that move into the realm when you started to, to train for your natural bodybuilding show? Um, what do you mean exactly? Like, uh, like, did you have to become more structured with your training? The only thing I will say is that you can't, you have to do it regardless. Like there's less, there's less room for um, skipping workouts. You can't just, like every workout has to count. Um, there's, there's never a half-assed day, right? And you have to accept your inevitable downfall of strength loss. But you stick to the template regardless. Because when, you, when you're in a calorie deficit and you're approaching single-digit body fat, uh, it's very hard 
to frequently go to the gym. Like you don't want to do it. Your body is telling you to lie down or sit on your ass all day. So the hardest part is dragging yourself into the gym and maintaining that system when it just wants to further lower the volume and work out even less. Like if I were to listen to my body, it would have told me, Alex, you're going to train Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one time a week, push on Monday, pull on Wednesday and legs on Friday. I did not do that, even though that's what my body was telling me to do, because I knew that wasn't going to be optimal. So it's more about showing up and putting up with the pain, no matter what. And in terms of the template itself, um, basically the same, except for the fact that it was one set less per exercise. So I would do two sets instead of three, and uh, which forces a higher intensity. Your workouts are slightly shorter. And uh, because you're on such limited energy, you can still get a good stimulus in there um, in the sense that it won't totally bury you. You know, like I, I couldn't handle high volume when I was uh, getting ready for my, my competition. It wasn't possible to the point mm-hmm. where at the end, I couldn't even do the two sets. You know, the last two yeah. weeks, I, I wasn't even finishing the leg workout. So, yeah, that's that's the difference. How do you deal with that mindset shift, though, where you, you're always trying to build muscle? That has always been your yeah one of your biggest goals and biggest drives. And then you go into that like leaning out phase where you know you're building zero muscle you're just maintaining but you're having to give just as much even more effort because of the lack of calories and nutrients through your body how how do you deal with that i mean it's a sucky process um like my journey was seven months and uh, i didn't make a single not one ounce of gains zero gains for all that time when if you're just eating normally, even in a maintenance phase, you can't even be bulking, you'll still get some improvements. Here, there's none. You're just maintaining and displaying what was already built during the bulk. So on a performance side of things, I mean, there's, you just got to accept it, but also shift your focus to something else, which in my case was actually calisthenics. So I know that even though I'm not gaining anything, I'm able to display my relative strength in a better way so that could be psychologically satisfying it it, it gets you through it knowing that the bulk wasn't for nothing and the example i'll give is uh, last year i was able to do six one-arm pull-ups uh in a shredded state and this year i was able to do eight so that was a plus two pr just by leaning down so the leaner i got the stronger i became at the one-arm pull-ups which was very um, satisfactory, you know, it, it, it keeps your ego in check because if, if some, if your bench press is going down, but your push up count is increasing or your pull up count is increasing and you just, you're a bit more fit, you have more conditioning, you know, that, that makes it easier to handle it. So I would say when in doubt, just bring it to an activity where by design, you just being lighter is going to result in an improvement, which is not really an improvement, but it is, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's uh i think without that if there was like if, if it was just downhill for everything then yeah. i don't know what i'd be able to tell you but because yeah. <laughs> you mix in everything it's fine yeah that's that's funny because calisthenics when you're losing weight is like it becomes cheap mode at that point that's all it is right that's the beauty of calisthenics so 
one of these other questions I want to ask you, and it's to refer back to uh, a previous guest I had on, King Jabal. He said something very profound to me about bodybuilding, which was when you're bodybuilding, you're not building a body for you, you're building a body for the judges. So how did you, de is that something that became apparent to you when you started the process for the natural bodybuilding show? Of course. Uh, for example, I didn't train my neck at all when I was uh, <laughs> leaning down because you're not judged on your neck. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't train my calves either. Now, I think it would have been a lot more aesthetic. And I believe back in the golden age, uh, the golden era, you were judged on calves. And that's why on stage, most of them had impressive development. But I didn't I didn't train those either. And I also realized that certain muscles that were underdeveloped in my case even though they, they, you, you would think they're insignificant, in a bodybuilding context, it's everything. So the hamstrings, for example, like when you're doing a back double biceps pose, yeah, it's about, you know, your V taper, but it's also the striations in your hamstrings, the separation of the heads and how much the meat hangs off. And it, it also affects you when you do a side chest pose. So if you don't have any hamstring, it's going to make your whole leg look skinny from the side, you know? So... Of all things, the freaking hamstrings, you know, which can still be relatively muscular, but if they're not by bodybuilding standards, it can throw off even your upper body poses. Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, uh, what else? The conditioning. By bodybuilding standards, you need to be like shredded to the bone. It's not like it was back in the silver era. Um, if you're not like 7% body fat at a minimum, you're not winning that competition. Even if you have the better structure and more muscle mass, the guy who weighs less than you but has more veins, more dryness, he's going to win. And I think uh, that that's why I did so well in the sense that uh, I came in like properly dialed in, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would say the body fat and then little muscles that you don't think are important, they actually make a massive difference, you know. Because yeah. if it was up to me, and also the legs, you kind of have to have an X-taper physique. Uh, for me, I find that is not very aesthetic. I prefer the old school look where you have like yeah. well muscular legs, but then it comes out. But yeah. in bodybuilding, you, you got to have this, you know? Yeah. So yeah. You, you are building a body for the judges and you're posing for them too. And the way you, you demonstrate, like I couldn't even do a most muscular pose because it was classic physique. Uh, but that's one of my favorite poses, right? So yeah, there you have yeah. it. Yeah. Is, is there anything that you're going to take away from the, the that experience and use it in the future? Only if the goal is to compete again. And that would be <laughs> to work on your posing because uh, it makes a difference. Uh, you can have the best physique on stage, but the, the guy next to you knows how to pose better. He's going to win um, if, if you're comparable enough. It's like uh, I think Bruce Lee said, if you have two fighters of equal strength, the one with the superior technique will win. But if they're, you know, sorry, the um, the stronger fighter, yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? So yeah. <laughs> so one thing that I th I think there seems to be a bit a dis disconnect with the the noble natty community with bodybuilding in that respect. Because the thing about bodybuilding is that 
a lot of these guys are never going to compete. Mm-hmm. So it's the lengths you have to go to to get to on stage. Like sometimes, to me, that is like the essence of bodybuilding in some respects. No, I don't. Uh... So uh, Golden Era Bookworm said it best. Bodybuilding is body building. It doesn't mean uh, competitive bodybuilding, especially with the modern yeah. standards, which is very bad for naturals. Um, yeah. For example, if you have someone who's competing on drugs, they will feel fine towards the end of their competition because it doesn't matter that their balls aren't functioning correctly and their T levels are <laughs> crashing, nothing, because they're simply re-injecting it back in. And you can see the difference in the energy levels. Whereas the real natties are dead, they're wiped off. They look like you know, the morgue is a couple weeks away. So yeah. you know, it's when you get to the levels of competitiveness where the side effects get to the extreme. But if you stop right before that point, which is interestingly where the old school bodybuilders used to compete at, then it's fine. And I think if we continue looking at the steroid standards, which unfortunately the crazy irony in all this is that natural bodybuilders could get more shredded than drug users because we don't retain as much water. What I'm saying is if we keep looking at their conditioning standards, then that's what's going to turn off people from bodybuilding. And it's not the yeah. true essence. It never was about that. It became that after yeah. an era where drugs were introduced. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's funny you say that because I, I know a few guys who have competed in natural bodybuilding shows. And when you see them just before they're about to go on stage, it, I'm not going to lie. And I know this might be a bit controversial, but they don't look good sometimes. No. I'm not saying physically, but I'm talking about in the face. Mm-hmm. A guy walked past me the other day, I know, who was, and his eyeballs were almost sunken into his head. And I was actually quite shocked when I seen him. <laughs> like he walked past me in the street and I was yeah. like, holy shit, man, he looks in some fucking neck. But Lee, it is like that. You know, me, me too. I, I genetically store a lot of fat in the face. And when I was a yeah. uh, single digit, uh, I mean, I'd look like a skeleton. Your eyeballs, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what you describe. It's a scary look and your cheekbones are, are yeah. popping. Yeah. You know, it makes you look yeah. 10 years older too because now all yeah, your... Man. Your bones and imperfections are showing. So yeah, man, it, and you don't look good. big, by the way. You look no. tiny. It's only when no. you take the clothes no. off that there's an impressive yeah. physique. So yeah, we shouldn't that's... have to get to that point. We should look at yeah. guys like Steve Reeves and John Grimmick and Leroy Colbert and all the greats that you know change our standards. And and that's what the noble natty community is kind of doing because let's keep it real. Yeah, most of them haven't competed. I think I'm one of the few ones who have. Yeah, yeah. So. But- Competing is a, like a big ask because I mean this guy looked like Skeletor's uh, ball sack when I seen him, <laughs> and he, you know that way they're in the gym and they've got about four hoodies on because they're yeah. fucking like they're freezing constantly because they've got no body fat. It's almost it's almost torture. That's what it looks like to me. It so is. you'll be indoors Alex. with your heaters on, even though it's <laughs> uh, hot outside. So, Alex, I'm going to have to wrap this up, my friend. Uh, But it's been an absolute pleasure. But before we go, and this is probably a daft fucking question, right? But can you tell people who don't know who you are where they can find you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, it's been an absolute pleasure, Lee. And I would definitely be game to do this again sometime. Um, If people want to learn more about me, they can do so on the Alex Leonidas YouTube channel and also my website, alexleonidas.com, and Instagram, TikTok, alexleonidasofficial. So if you know my name, you know where to find me. And I'm the only guy with this name, so that's great. 
Alex, absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Me too, man. Thank you. And I'm, I hope the viewers enjoyed it as well. I'm sure they will. Oh, yeah. <laughs>